the podcast. Today's episode is actually with my friend Melissa, and we are going to be talking about freelancing and being self-employed. For reference, Melissa is a photographer, and I, as you guys know, do content creation full-time on social media. And so I've been wanting to do an episode just talking about kind of what it's like to be self-employed, leaving your nine to five, and then also just answering a bunch of different questions you have. We answered specific ones about Melissa's job as a photographer, if anyone is interested in photography, and then also questions for myself on, you know, doing content creation. And we talk about a bunch of different things. We talk about managing money doing this. We talk about managing time doing this, getting lonely working from home, and also talking about how to become a photographer, how Melissa started, and then for me, starting in content creation, doing it as a full-time job, how to deal with getting hate comments, and just a bunch of different things. And so obviously, as you can tell, this episode is a little bit longer than normal, which I know some people like. So hopefully some people will stick around to the end. But I wanted to thank you guys for asking me questions over on Instagram. That's where I asked for some. And yeah, this episode's long. So we're going to go ahead and get into it. We share our highs and lows in the beginning. So I'm not going to do that here, but I appreciate you all. And I hope you enjoy the episode. Well, hello, guys, and welcome back to the podcast. We have a repeat guest who is back, and this is my friend, Melissa. Hello. This is her third episode on the podcast, so you guys are already aware, most likely, of who she is, but I figured you could just give a little intro of... Again, if anyone's any new, Melissa, what you do, who you are. Um, I am a wedding photographer based in Dallas. I live with my husband. We met my freshman year of college, and yeah, just working and living life. <laughs> living life, yeah. We met a year and a half ago, two years. You always, I always forget. Exactly it, we, met we met for the first time, February of twenty twenty one. Okay, I so think it's been a decent. I think of time, so. Like yeah, a year and a half ish. Yeah. But I have been wanting to do this episode for a while. I talked about this in one of my last podcast episodes because I will get questions about doing a job that's a bit less traditional, even though nowadays I feel like there are more people who do kind of like gig work versus being for a corporation in a more Mm -hmm. traditional sense. But I get questions about, you know, managing time, kind of working for yourself and quitting your nine to five. And I honestly hadn't really known a ton of people closely who did the same thing until I met Melissa. Tell me. Even though Melissa's a photographer, which is a little bit different. And so for this episode, I thought it would be fun to answer some questions about working a less traditional job, but also specific photography questions for Melissa and then specific questions for me on doing social media, YouTuber, some may say influencer, even though I still hate that word. Questions about kind of growing that too. So I asked for questions over on my Instagram and we got quite a few. We have about an hour and a half to record. So we're going to see how many we can get All through. of them. <laughs> but Melissa, I don't know if you know, I don't know if I did this last time about sharing the high and low of yeah, the week. No. Every week in my podcast, I share high of the week and the low of the week, even though this week is not technically over yet, but. my I'm going to start with my low. um low is probably that this is my busiest editing week so I've been like attached to my computer and I have allergies so like that combo is just not fun Texas allergies yeah they're wilding um so yeah definitely my low there my high is that this is my last work week because we leave on vacation so I'm just gotta get to Friday yeah yeah is that when you leave for anniversary trip? We will. We leave for our trip. Melissa and I are going on a spontaneous. Well, not spontaneous for her. She's had this book for I, a yeah. while. But. I have a work trip. Um, 
Yeah. Um, we're going to Colorado I'm Tuesday. not one of those who keeps my, well, <laughs> my travel is secret. Well, you have been posting on your stories. Like, yeah. a cold... In my videos, though, I've been like, I'm going to Colorado. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, well, we're going... I have an engagement session in Colorado next Tuesday or Thursday. Mm-hmm. So I'm bringing Michelle along. Mm-hmm. So, like, Friday is sort of my last, like, in-office day. And mm-hmm. then after Colorado, we leave for Florida on Friday. Okay. So it just starts the whole... And where are we going exactly in Colorado? Estes Park. Okay. Because for a while I used to think it was Estes Park. And the guy when I was, well, I was looking might... for hiking shoes yesterday and the guy was like, where are you going? And I could not remember if it was Estes or Estes and I didn't want to sound like an idiot. So I was like, oh, just somewhere in Colorado. Well, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right because I was reading, like I was doing research for uh-huh. hikes and stuff and a lot of people were saying that it's pronounced a certain way. So mm-hmm. we both could be pronouncing it wrong. Yeah. Huh. I think it's Estes. I think you're right. Because my sister Jamie went there too and she said Estes, so I was trusting her. I don't know if I have a high or low of this week yet. I feel like usually my high and lows end up being from Friday to Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll see. But I think probably, hmm, I think my high, I'm watching both of my nieces tomorrow and it's just me and I've never watched both of them together and one is a little over no she's not even a year old yet so she's like a baby baby and then one's turning five in august so they're fun and they're two girls too so that'll probably be my high but i don't i don't really have a low i feel like life's been been a good week yeah i got warped into buying shoes i didn't really want yesterday (laughs) that can be your low that's a low that's my low but Mm -hmm. i think we honestly have so many good questions to answer so we're just going to go ahead and hop into some of the questions starting out i thought that we could kind of talk about how we quit our full-time jobs mm-hmm. beginning and specifically for you because yours was more recent yeah that you switched over from doing photography more as a side thing to a full-time so just share more about that journey of how you started photography and then when it got to the point where you decided to quit your full-time job yeah so I started photography like any other photographer I know in high school like dragging my friends out to the fields like I was pro- oh literally like I would see some flower field I'm like Abby Alley we're going to the flower fields mm-hmm. like and I'm taking pictures of y'all I'm like I don't know if they actually wanted to but it was fun I definitely was made fun of because I was the girl that was just T5i rebel kit mm-hmm. taking pictures all the time um and then in college I started doing it on the side just to make like a hundred dollars here and there taking pictures of seniors and then like my senior year I really got into whether it was taking couples photos, actually charging for senior sessions, like an actual amount, not just like 50 bucks here and there. Um, And then that was never supposed to be this like full-time job. It was just supposed to be this little extra money on the side for college. Then I graduated during COVID, which was terrible. And I had done all these internships and I had this job lined up and then it didn't happen. So I worked at Chick-fil-A and so I was like, I'm going to start pursuing photography (laughs) because I have nothing else going for me. Then I got a job as a like marketing coordinator about three months post-grad and I loved it and it was great, but I started really developing like photography side of myself and I started second shooting more and I just absolutely fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. And within six months of that, it just blew up and took Mm -hmm. off and... Then I quit my job three months after that, and here I am. <laughs> I'll never forget when you're interviewing for that other job too, which we don't <laughs> yeah. have to stay. We don't have to say because you yeah. got it right. Yeah, and you just yeah. turned it down too. It, and it was right when we had met. Yeah. And Michelle had just 
not quit her job, but you'd quit like what? Like um, a year or two? A year, a year and a half before that. And I was talking to her about my dilemma of like, I'm this big corporate woman. It was a dream job, honestly. And I went through the interview process and it was competitive and I was so proud that I got to the end, but it just mm-hmm. didn't feel like I wasn't as happy as I should be. I was like looking to Michelle for like reasons to tell me not to do it. <laughs> and <laughs> Which, she got them. <laughs> and I definitely got the reasons and so I didn't do it and it was I think it was because I also was doing the marketing stuff before then too and I think we both looked at our long-term vision of our life and doing that for the rest of like when we're 50 years old it just didn't didn't fit for us yeah and that's not to say that working a corporate job a nine-to-five job is a bad thing oh no there are pros and cons to both and I think for me especially I felt a lot more compelled to quit my nine to five because I knew that my husband Aiden had a very traditional steady if all my stuff falls away if YouTube dies that was a big part of it too I think if I was single by myself I would have taken the corporate job it would have been a lot harder to kind of feel encouraged to take the leap too we just definitely have the safe barrier of having husbands with steady jobs because I mean health insurance which I'm I mean, I'm not 26 yet, so thankfully I'm still on my parents, which I really appreciate. (laughs) But Aiden's about to have to go on his own through his work. And someone had submitted a question. They're like, how do you do insurance? It's so expensive being self-employed doing it. I'm like, haven't really gotten there yet. And I probably won't have to because I'll be able to get on Aiden's. But insurance is just such a weird industry. very interesting. I I mean, there's a lot of money in insurance. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. I was watching my friend Rachel's videos on YouTube and she works for her mom who's a dermatologist and she was talking about all the crazy stuff they have to go through just to get paid, like the doctors to get paid by insurance. And it's like the patient doesn't benefit and the employer doesn't benefit or the doctor doesn't benefit. The only people who benefit are the insurance, which I don't know if that's true. If you work in insurance, I'm sorry. (laughs) You know, when I did my, uh, when I was on a jury, yeah, the whole thing was basically about we ended up... Are fi- you allowed to share yeah, this? Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. Um, I don't... I'm not even really sharing anything about the case, but it ended yeah. up being where the person that was really at fault that mm-hmm. should have been on trial was the insurance people. Mm-hmm. They were, like, staking up all these claims mm-hmm. and not to be hateful towards insurance, but... It just seems like not the best method for... Yeah. In the medical field, it can get really expensive for mm-hmm. people who don't have access or I mean it was just a very like sad situation and yeah. it was definitely on the insurancers huh side so yikes I don't know that was a very very different tangent yeah <laughs> no I just remember seeing a question about that I was like yeah. that's a good question but I guess most people listening to this probably already know my story of how I quit but I'll give a brief synopsis I've been doing YouTube and Instagram and kind of social media stuff since I was literally in high school. I was so young. And if you've been around here since then, I give you major creds because those videos are very embarrassing. But it was definitely just always kind of similarly. It was a hobby that I enjoyed doing. I'm the youngest of five kids. So my parents were all about kind of making your own fun and entertaining yourself. And my siblings did sports and I filmed videos in my room on a webcam. But I never thought it would get to the point where it's at today. And I think just being consistent and on uploading on YouTube and everything. And we'll go into this more specifically, but slowly it started to grow. And especially when I moved to New York City for college, I think that's when my channel grew a lot and my platforms grew a lot. And I was just really nervous to kind of take the plunge and do it full time at the time because 
I mean, especially when you're in college and everyone's mm-hmm. kind of doing one thing, it can be intimidating to decide, hey, I actually don't really want to do this route that everyone else is doing. And so I tried to do kind of like a, I would say traditional nine to five, but I still was working at a more startup environment. Mm-hmm. So it didn't feel corporate. It was a lot, a lot of hours. I loved the people I was working with and the work was honestly really fun and it was in influencer marketing. So it did teach me a lot about just kind of the behind the scenes action of what it looks like when you work with brands and learned a lot of that kind of stuff. But eventually it just made a lot more sense to transition over just doing my own stuff. And that was, I would say, I think that was 2019 at the time. And then we had gotten engaged nearly after that too. And then the rest is history. So that's kind of how I took the plunge. Crazy. Okay, this question is more so for you because a lot of people had asked this, but you didn't study photography in college, right? No, I didn't. I was a uh, Bachelor of Arts in Advertising mm-hmm. and Public Relations. Okay, yeah. so how did you go about kind of learning about cameras? One of the most common questions too was about what camera did she use? But I know <laughs> photographers don't No, I have the camera. Yeah. It's about the settings, the vibe that you're setting, the visual inspiration you have it's very much an art so I don't think it's like oh you just get this camera and then you can become a photographer yeah I started with a Canon T5i mm-hmm. in high school and I had that camera all the way until my senior year of college um, and I mean it it's a great starter camera but it is very much not a prof- professional camera whatsoever that's what all youtubers would start yeah. with too was the because I was jealous of the girls who yeah. had the T5i I mean it was it was great and I felt so cool like I, I didn't know there was better because I wasn't aware um, but throughout high school and college I was taking photography classes um, but a lot of it was self-taught like I don't think classes can really teach you much like you just have to go out there like dragging your friends out to the field or going downtown and taking pictures of your friends like that is like the best way to learn um did you watch videos on like camera settings too like oh no. learning about iso learning about aperture peyton, or whatever it's called peyton know. taught me all of that like peyton is melissa's husband yes. and he's very smart he's yes. an engineer um i knew nothing about iso aperture nothing um I was shooting on auto up until my like senior year of uh college and I mean the photos turned out great but once I figured out how to shoot in manual which is what I suggest you shoot in then you can really play around with the different things but what I do now is I like to go on YouTube um because you know you can always learn and so I'll just go on YouTube and type in some random tutorial like I just recently learned how to do light dragging Mm -hmm. with your flash photos and it's really cool and I don't know it's just sort of self-taught I mean you can't did you go through different phases of your photos kind of looking a certain way and then like I'm sure you look back on your photos from oh yeah it's crazy why was I editing that way how did you kind of find your style would you say Luckily, Peyton introduced me to Lightroom in college, and that was just sort of editing my own photos, Mm -hmm. um, not photos I took of other people. And so I got to figure out how I liked editing, how to use Lightroom before it became a job, which was really nice because I can't imagine the pressure of figuring out how to edit Mm -hmm. for a client that's paying you. And then once people started paying me, like I look back on some of my first professional photos like two years ago, and I'm like, that's terrible. (laughs) Like, Like the edits, but like, Two years ago. Even photos you've taken for us way back in the day. Yeah. Like, I do not like those photos. Like, these are some of my favorite photos. Yeah. Like, but... the first photos I took of Michelle and Aiden. Like, they're great. Mm-hmm. But, like, compared to what I do now, 
I think my photos now are so much better, but I also like upgraded my gear. And at a certain point, you do need to upgrade gear. Yeah. So that's where it's like, yes, the gear doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But if if you've gotten to a certain point and you know your equipment, it's time to upgrade to be like yeah. to have the best gear you can. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, editing is just something you yeah. figure out slowly. I mean, my editing style is constantly changing. Mm-hmm. I feel like I finally found my niche of what I like and the mm-hmm. tones that I like. Um, your your photos are very just natural yeah I like to focus on skin tones if the skin mm-hmm. tone looks right then that's all that matters to me and I yeah. want I want the pink on your dress to look like the same pink that I see in person I don't yeah. want to alter it to be a darker like as long as it looks like it does in real life just enhanced mm-hmm. then it's a great edit job do you to remember me. the phase when everyone was doing the lightroom presets that were really the orange, orange. ones yeah and i will i will admit i was a part of that crew yeah. i did it for a little bit See, i liked feeling tan i was a dirty boots preset girl mm-hmm. i don't know if you so heard more it. moody yeah and... i liked the moody vibes okay i'm far from that now yeah. but no i was a moody girl for a little bit <laughs> i think doing youtube too is similar to that with learning how to edit videos because i got a few questions about that too and I don't think there's, it's not like a cut and paste way that you learn. I think you just learn as you do it. I'm very much a believer you just throw yourself into doing something and you'll learn along the way. But I think logistically for me, I edit with Final Cut Pro, which isn't like Adobe Premiere or something, but it's also not iMovie. It's a good in-between. And I just learned a lot by watching YouTube tutorials Mm -hmm. on how to do stuff. And I figured out where to find music that was royalty free that didn't sound like absolute trash because a lot of it does and a lot of those things it's expensive when you're starting out to pay for but I think it does pay off having not the nicest end stuff no yeah and I mean I started with iMovie and now I do a lot of my vlogs on my phone too when I'm out and about I don't even bring my small vlog camera because I think the phones have gotten so much better oh yeah video clips and I think as time has gone on, people also really like more natural, kind of more candid vlogs. And so I think as you do it, you kind of find your style and you find the vibe that also is somewhat trending, but also balancing that with having your own sort of style too. Yeah. But uh, there's not one person that I think you can just look at and be like, this is how you learn to do it. Yeah. And I didn't study videography in college, so. I mean, that's that's the hard part that I still process is like, I went to college and I'm still paying off student loans for college that I went to. And I'm, I'm using my degree to a certain extent, but I am Mm -hmm. doing like my own job that I could have done without it. But my mom likes to tell me that I'm using soft skills Oh yeah. and my business wouldn't be what it is without like learning how to market myself. Mm -hmm. And, but it's, it's definitely hard to process sometimes that I'm not doing anything I went to college for, (laughs) but yeah, there were a lot of questions about, do you think if, you were to switch back to a more traditional job, you would have valuable experience being a freelancer. And I'm like, totally. I think oh, yeah. You would. I mean, you're doing so many different jobs by yourself. Too, oh, yeah. And- I've learned so much more freelancing than I feel like I ever did in a traditional job. Yeah. Just because like you're all the roles, oh, like yeah. you're tracking your expenses, you're doing marketing, you're doing in the field work, you're do- yeah. I mean, you're doing everything. So one of the biggest topics that people asked about just in general was about managing time when you're working for yourself and how to not get lonely when you're working from home a lot. And would you say that you have a set schedule of okay, on Monday, I do this Tuesday, I do this and like a set schedule of I start at nine, I end at five. What is your kind of 
maybe your weekly routine of working for yourself. Yeah. So I put in my notes app every Sunday I go through and I just write down Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Sometimes I even do the weekend. Like this weekend I have like my to-do list just because we're about to leave. Mm -hmm. But each day I'll put down which sessions I want to edit. And if I put them on that list, it's my expectation to finish them. And I'm a task oriented person. So if I don't finish it, I'll make sure I finish it Mm -hmm. essentially. Um, and I'll put like what invoices I need to send out, what like everything on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday will be detailed out. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually, so I have cycle, I go to work out in the morning and I'll do like emails beforehand, then I'll go work out. And then when I get back, that's when I can start editing. But I have a hard close of my laptop at five or 6 PM just that's to good. create boundaries of like, mm-hmm. Especially because you're doing so much work on the weekends. Oh, yeah. Too. I have that to That was another it. girl was asking about, like, how do you deal with never having your weekends? Because you always have to. Yeah. But I, I think it's like you make your weekdays kind of. Oh, yeah. Too I mean, you can. today, you know, we're recording this podcast and then we're going to go to a pottery class, which yeah. will be really fun. And so it's like I this isn't a crazy weekend for me, but I still like finding one or two days um, in the week where I can just do more fun things and mm. it's nice because I have friends friend mm. a friend yeah that, <laughs> that literally pretending like I have multiple friends um a friend that has the same you do have multiple friends but not that have the same jobs yeah. as our situation creating time in the week to mm. have sort of a weekend day yeah so I don't feel sad do you get lonely when you're working here by yourself yeah um but it helps if I get like really stir crazy where I'm just like, this is lonely, mm. like I'm just staring at my computer all day and like pains at the office, I'll get up at like one o'clock and I'll go walk around Target <laughs> and just like take just something. It helps too. It sounds yeah. so stupid too. Like I'll just walk and go get a coffee yeah. in the day and... And then I feel refreshed when I get back. Yeah. So that usually helps. But no, it is sad sometimes like just sitting in my apartment. Because you're more extroverted than me. Yeah. I... And I think I've gotten a little bit better about this, but I could be by myself a lot of the time. Yeah. I'd be perfectly fine, especially now with cash. I'm like, it's just me and cash. Oh, I live I talk life. to my cats. I just talk to them. Yeah. But I mean, it's lonely, but. I would say that my schedule varies quite often because my job is just all over the mm-hmm. place. I mean, I have two videos that I post a week. I have my podcast and I've been trying to do more on Instagram recently, so there are always things to be done. And I think especially with doing social media, you can always create more. I mean, especially when I was doing TikTok for a while, it was like, okay, I'm done at five. Let's create some funny TikToks, which sounds really stupid, but that is how you grow. And I think especially now the algorithms really want you to be posting consistently all the time. Mm -hmm. And so it can be hard to draw that line. But I similarly try to make, you know, a kind of like week overview of this day this needs to get done and I do work with brands so I actually do have deadlines of okay this needs to be submitted Mm -hmm. then and there are a lot of people and I learned this from my last job in this industry who don't turn things in on time and will just not submit videos even though it's you know part of their contract to do that but I really value being someone who's pleasant to work with Mm -hmm. and so if I say a video is going to be submitted on this day, it's going to be submitted on this well, day. Well, and it's a good client experience as well. Like yeah. I have my – my contract has four to six weeks. I will get a full wedding gallery to them. And my goal is to get it at two, three weeks because, you know, like, yes, it's in my contract to four to six weeks. But you want to, like, show these people that you care and you're trying to be timely. Oh, so yeah. it's like you putting your video actually on time, that's going to – 
help your brand yeah. recognition of like they're like oh michelle well, she's a great influencer you, to work you with you said that you gain a lot of clients from your referrals yeah too, from past people and yeah. similar with me these agencies seem so big but they talk to one another yeah and brands know hey i'm gonna keep working with this person because she actually did what she was asked yeah. to do and she did a good job and yeah. it matters to fulfill i don't know the promises you make to people you yeah. can work but well my my thought process is is it over promise no it's under promise over deliver yeah yeah that's like the best way to succeed mm-hmm. is always under promise because i mean it sets the expectations lower and then you wow them yeah you know the last general question that i wanted to ask and then we'll go into more specific even though i feel like i've been asking specific questions throughout <laughs> this too but we're close to 30 minutes now so i'm like okay i need to get going speed it but up i got a lot of questions about dealing with finances when your income is more i would say quote unpredictable i think we're both at a point where we kind of know how much we're going to be making though but it does change it's not like you get your bi-weekly paycheck and yeah no. the taxes are taken out and this is exactly how much you have and so how have you dealt with trying to learn how to budget and also how to track your expenses as a business owner and yeah taxes and uh, i feel like that's <laughs> taxes three questions are not in one, fun but. um I pretty much just save as much as I can. Um, I pull 40% from any deposit I get to put in its own account for taxes, like anything taxes, sales tax. Like I want, even though that's more than what Texas requires, I want to have more than enough. Mm -hmm. So when I get to tax paying season, I'm not like, oh my gosh, like I don't have enough money to pay tax. Like that would just be everyone's worst nightmare. Um, And so that's really the main thing I do. And then everything else I just put into savings Mm -hmm. and I pay myself probably like $1,000 a month just to like, (laughs) I'm just in a saving mode right now where I, I just want to stockpile it. Um, but it's become pretty fluid with my finances and like what I'm expected to earn over the next year and a half. Yeah. Like X amount of weddings and your weddings are booked out for the rest of the year. So you know what's coming And I know my prices of what... I'm pricing people and mm-hmm. I, I track all of my weddings that I book on Excel and like mm-hmm. which package they got, where the location is, how much I'm making. Mm-hmm. And so I can see the total at the bottom of how much I'm making just on weddings. And so I can prepare for taxes. Like it's a whole, Yeah, I'm making sure I track everything um, yeah. because that's like the most important thing of being a freelancer is tracking mm-hmm. your finances, in my opinion. Yeah. And I will say, because we mentioned this in the beginning that both our husbands do work more yeah. traditional jobs. And so it is easier to kind of budget and save when we're not entirely breaking down our paychecks every month. Okay, yeah. this goes to rent. This yeah. goes to, it's not just us. And I think having two incomes does make it a lot easier. Yeah. I always want to acknowledge that because I feel like people don't. And I'm like, no, it would be much harder to... Oh, if I was by myself, yeah. it would be so, so much more stressful. It's um, expensive to mm-hmm. keeping up with stuff. Yeah, I think mine is a little bit more all over the place i do have a set amount of okay i will book x amount of youtube sponsors every month and i'll my instagram ones will vary a lot more and so those aren't as set and with a podcast i only have a few sponsors on here so but i also have like affiliate links that i will do and then youtube adsense so yeah you have a lot of flows yeah and it's from 
much different places. And honestly, a lot of people talk about this in this industry, but you can finish something. Like I worked on a project in December that I finished and I still haven't been paid. And so it takes a long time to get payments. And that's why it's really important. I think as a content creator, when you're starting out to just book consistent work, so you don't have three months of not being paid, but I do like the fact that with YouTube AdSense, so AdSense is when you're watching a video and you see that little ad that they put on the side. Mm -hmm. So it's not like a brand deal that someone's talking about in their video. It's just the ad on the side. I'm sure most people know this by now, but it's nice that that is pretty consistent. If you're getting consistent views each month, it does typically go up in like November, October, December, around the holidays, it'll go up because more people are buying stuff then. And it usually drops down in January, but that's kind of consistent with the world's marketing Mm -hmm. cycle too and so it can change a little bit but yeah it's a little bit all over the place i think i've been tracking my income doing this for probably like six years now and so i've seen how it's grown over the years and so i kind of have a trajectory but yeah there's no like it's a lot more complicated it is really complicated i literally just have to and then you throw in management and my manager takes like 20 percent of my brand deals and so that gets taken out. It's made it easier because a lot of before it was I would send a, like W2, W9, do all those directly to each company I worked with. So oh. say I work with every plate. They send me that and I have 50 different ones from all these different brands versus now anything I do when a brand's paying me goes through my management. Which is, so they're really the only nice. ones paying me, which has made it easier but yeah, before it was a nightmare and then that's why you have to track it because sometimes brands just straight up won't pay you too. Yeah. And you're like, hey, this was done, you know, net 90 days ago when you said you pay me and you saw it paying That's me. crazy the difference between that and photography. Yeah. Because like for my contracts, it's when you book, you put a 25% deposit mm-hmm. down and then the week before the wedding, you pay the rest. And until you pay Do the you rest- Do you use a program for doing invoicing and everything? Uh, yeah, I use Pixie Set and Stripe. Pixie okay. Set is my like- client portal Mm -hmm. that I send contracts and questionnaires anything like regarding Mm -hmm. the client and then stripe is what they'll get like the payment system through um and so everything's super central but it's uh like what happens if someone doesn't pay you they don't get their photos yeah I mean I it's uh it's in my contract and so it's like until they pay the 75 percent remaining they won't Mm -hmm. get sneak peeks Mm -hmm. and I've never encountered that before like I mean people can't imagine just straight up not yeah I I, that's not usually normal in the photography industry that people just like don't pay so now my manager has been trying to do you get 50% up front before mm-hmm. doing a deal but that's very rare to actually get people who yeah. do that it's just crazy and then that's you can crazy. complete all the work and you haven't gotten a dime of that's the money that's very interesting crazy but thankfully now i have them so it's nice before when it was just me at 18 like trying to send these rude emails of why haven't you paid me <laughs> please, please pay me now it's like i have an official company yeah. doing it which looks better but yeah it's just it's crazy. Okay, going into specific questions for Melissa, one of the things someone asked was how you feel or how do you make your clients feel comfortable when they're actually taking photos? Because this is something I think you do a great job at because I met Melissa the first time by doing a photo shoot mm-hmm. with Melissa and my husband Aiden does not love <laughs> taking photos, but we had a good time. Yeah. I think you um, do as well. My biggest thing is like looking at it from a perspective of – 
I'm hanging out with them and like I'm getting to know the couple, especially with my bride and grooms that I take engagements for. You know, you want to get to know the couple and make them feel comfortable and no one's just going to be a model and knows how to act naturally in front of a camera. So when I first meet up with a couple, I like to have a conversation with them, get to know them, know what their jobs are, like make them feel comfortable with me. And then the first poses I typically do are more like interactive. So it gets them loose because most guys don't love taking photos. Like most girls, at least most of my brides, absolutely Mm -hmm. love taking photos and they've been you know, counting down to the engagement shoot. Um, But yeah, just starting with super interactive poses. And I'm also like hyping them up the entire Mm -hmm. time. Like you can ask any of my brides and former brides, like I will be just like, going off the entire time like oh you look so good just like going. and you'll show photos you yeah be like look how cute this yeah is. i i show them reassure them and then like if we're going to another location mm-hmm. i'll take about 10 minutes to again talk to them get to know them so it's like by the end of the session i want to be friends with you yeah and so it's just making them feel like they're just hanging out yeah. with another person they know and that's like one of those soft skills i don't yeah. think you just google how to make people feel yeah, comfortable yeah, on photos. it takes having that personality and yeah. this is a very social person so i think that helps too just being good at talking to people yeah but i think that's the best way to make couples feel mm-hmm. comfortable during photos is literally just getting to know them mm-hmm. because if i all of a sudden show up at a photo shoot and i'm like okay do this do that do that okay bye like yeah. they're gonna be like okay like someone also asked how you organize your photos how do you keep everything um, I keep everything on my hard drive mm-hmm. and I... And she has like a backup hard yeah, drive. Yeah, I have a backup hard drive, a backup server, like your photos are safe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have engagement, I have an engagement catalog, a portraits catalog, a personal one and a wedding. And then with e- within each of those is categories for, mm-hmm. you know, people's engagement sessions, their names, people's weddings. And within their wedding category is their bridals. They're in- like it's... Mm-hmm. it's a whole folder system um mm-hmm. but it keeps me very like organized be so because my videos are not organized and i, <laughs> I wipe everything i for have the most to part. stay organized yeah. like um because you can't just lose no i can't <laughs> lose someone's wedding photos. i would have nightmares about mm-hmm. my hard drive just crashing yeah. on me or something I'll, i i have backups and i'll mm-hmm. still fear my hard drive failing mm-hmm. when it's like if it fails it's really okay because yeah. i have backups in place um but it's still like terrifying, oh. but it's a weight lifted off my chest when I deliver a wedding mm-hmm. because, you know, I mean, they're out, like we're good, yeah. but it, it's stressful for yeah. sure. One of the other big questions was about how you kind of market yourself. I think specifically on Instagram, mm-hmm. how do you get clients from Instagram? Because I was looking for a photographer last night in New York City for a specific reason. And I was looking and it is kind of hard to, Yeah, I was literally searching like hashtag New York City photographer and I found a few, but I don't know how that works with trying to kind of get Instagram clients. So Instagram is, is weird, honestly, especially with the Texas wedding industry. Mm-hmm. Like the Texas industry is just absolutely insane right now. Um, there's because it's competitive it's competitive and there's so many people getting married Mm -hmm. like we are in a crazy wedding boom and there's almost like not enough photographers for how many brides Mm -hmm. there are and so the amount of brides that I can cater towards is a large pool and to be a full-time wedding photographer you need 30 to 32 weddings Mm -hmm. based on your pricing and so for me, oh, I so many weddings. It's a lot, wow. but I'm lowering my number next year. That's like two to three a month. Yeah. Probably. Um, 
I have 32 this year. 20, mm-hmm. 24 is my max for next year. Yeah, so next year awesome. will be a lot easier. But I, I do focus on Instagram. But like you were saying earlier, mine is really based on referral and mm-hmm. word of mouth. Um, I do a lot of friend groups. Like I just had a wedding in Austin and one of my former brides from two weeks before, they were in the same sorority and they knew of me through, they both basically booked me and knew they were both booking me. So it's like, that was, you know, two weddings in one month that were from the same group Mm -hmm. at University of Texas. So it's like targeting friend groups is really where my business thrives. Because you don't really do like the the cheesy reels of no. photographers like which I'm which, all yeah. for if that you got to do whatever works for you it's it's a hard balance and I've been struggling with this lately of like there's so many photographers with so many followers and you like tell yourself like oh I need over 5,000 followers to be like a successful photographer and like when it's like not that's not the last case night when I was looking I didn't even look at people's unless it was like really small yeah and it was obvious that this person was still starting yeah. out, which I would still book someone like yeah. that, but I don't really think it matters. With... I think it's just photographers get in their head yeah. of the number game and comparison. And it's like, you tell yourself you need to be more on Instagram when really mm-hmm. like, as long as you're posting photos that represent you mm-hmm. and brides like it, mm-hmm. it literally does not matter the number you have in your followers. So like, I don't necessarily focus on Instagram yeah. all too much. I focus on the client relations and that's what builds mm-hmm. And with planning to do less next year, obviously that means you have to up your rates too. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of people are asking about how do you figure out how to up your rates when you get to a point where you realize, okay, I can start charging more. And So I've gotten to the point where everyone's booking my most expensive package, Mm -hmm. which is 10 hours. And 10 hours is a lot of work. And that's a lot of standing on your feet. So... Typically, what most photographers do is when your 10-hour package is getting booked too much, you raise your rates. And so I'm probably going to raise mine around July or August just to prep for 2023. Um, And, I mean, you raise them based on what your competition is pricing. Mm -hmm. But the Dallas market for pricing is really, really competitive. And so I just don't feel comfortable pricing what Mm -hmm. the Dallas average is right now. So I'm pricing a little bit below Mm -hmm. um, just because I am relatively newer, but Mm -hmm. it's, I'm still figuring out pricing. It's, it's a beast. Yeah. I feel like that would be tricky. I mean, you're asking people to spend a lot of money and it's, yeah, it's scary. People are willing. I think you realize that people are willing to spend it too. And especially when you do have so much competition. I mean, this is kind of the same with my brand deals that I do. And especially once I got, my manager, I realized that, oh, wow, I should be charging mm-hmm. more. And especially when you're turning down so many people because yeah. you just simply don't have the time. I think that's a good sign that, to raise. hey, it's, that doesn't mean you, I don't know, try to make crazy amount of money oh, off yeah. people and yeah. rip people off. But it's probably a sign that you're worth charging more to kind of <laughs> – Melissa's cat, Creed, is so cute right now. <laughs> Creed is Creed and my brother's cat are the only cats that have made me want cats. Mm -hmm. They're so cute. Well, Creed is a literal golden retriever. Oh yeah. I mean, I think that's why I like him so much. He just gives me cash energy. Yeah. The last question I'll ask Melissa is about dealing with clients who maybe are unhappy with the work that you give them or request edits to the work that you give them. How do you go about dealing with that? So, 
I haven't had a situation yet where someone's asked me to re-edit something, Mm -hmm. but I always try and put myself in my bride's or a couple's shoes of like, I was a bride once and I, I had a lot of expectations for my wedding photos and like, I think just remembering that this isn't about me. Mm-hmm. And if someone is unhappy, like it's my job to make sure they feel comfortable or they they like it better. I mean, like I was saying earlier, client relations are the most important thing. And so if a client in the future were unhappy with the edits, I would figure out a way to communicate that, first of all, you know, you're booking me for my style. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like my style, then maybe there's a photographer with a better fit. Yeah. But if they've already booked me and I've shot their wedding photos and I deliver them and they're just not vibing with them, then that's where we just sort of figure out a way to meet in the middle. Because um, I do have it in my contract that I have full artistic and style um, control. It's just, it's a very fine line where it's like you want your client to be happy, but... Mm-hmm brides need to be very picky in the booking process and ask for full wedding galleries and I mean just know the photographer you're booking and make sure you love their editing style Mm -hmm. because it's really hard to re-edit an entire wedding so totally it's a it's a very fine line but obviously how did you go about learning how to make the contracts um I don't really know (laughs) I feel like that's so intimidating it's very intimidating um I got a lot of advice from other photographers that I'm friends with and that I've worked with and just sort of created an industry standard Mm -hmm. contract and looked to my dad as well like I just took advice from anyone and everyone I could get it from Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. then as people were reading of my contracts like if someone had a piece of advice that they wanted me to add something to my contract or take it away like I looked at that advice like Mm -hmm. and now I feel like I'm finally at a contract that covers all the bases and protects me and protects the couple as well Mm -hmm. so I don't know how to segue into these questions do you want me to ask you the questions the questions is how to make videos early on and gain a following so I think this is a great question and honestly I think you have to find a balance between specifically this will be for youtube because i think tiktok is different i think instagram is different i will say i think even though i'm not on there right now i do think tiktok is the best place to really grow when you're starting from no followers at Mm -hmm. all just because the algorithm does really push you out to new audiences and it's easy for you to not have a following and get promoted more creed is in my lap right now and he's really (laughs) cute but for youtube i think the thing that's most helpful with youtube and this is something that it's kind of hard because so many people watch, I mean, Melissa watches YouTube, but mm-hmm. do you watch vlogs on YouTube? I used to. Okay. Um, but with ADHD, yeah. <laughs> my attention span has gotten really low. Uh-huh. Um, so I usually only watch travel vlogs now. Okay. But so for you, you will specifically go on YouTube and you will search for, okay, if you're going to go to Italy or search for an Italy park. Yeah, I literally did that for our Colorado trip. Yeah. I looked up Estes Park, Rocky Mountain, mm-hmm. Colorado vlog. Exactly. And, and I that's think how that I get shows inspiration. why you have to create searchable content on yes. YouTube. And I think it's easy because so many of your favorite YouTubers are probably, I mean, like with me, I do a lot of vlogs, mm-hmm. but vlogs are more for my viewers that I already have that like my content, they mm-hmm. enjoy my vibe, they like the products I'm promoting, so they will stick for those videos. 
But when it comes to actually drawing in a new audience, you have to create videos that are going to draw in new people. And so for me, that's a lot of my routine videos that I do. If I do specifically like workout videos, when we move to Dallas, doing empty Dallas apartment tour, someone else is moving to Dallas, they search for that. And then you find people who are living in the city that you're living in. And so I think creating those more searchable videos, if you're a photographer, like how you got started with photography or come with me on a photography shoot or something that someone would actually search for. I think that's the best way to start. And then, I mean, I always say this, but being consistent, even when you don't have as many views as you'd like to be, even if you feel like no one's watching, if you think people are making fun of you from your high school or whatever, like Mm -hmm. you have to just block out all that stuff, balancing out, hey, I like what I'm creating, but I'm also creating stuff that is somewhat trending, somewhat searchable Mm -hmm. and having that balance and I would say posting once a week is a good place to start. I think that's kind of the minimum of wanting to put your name out there. I try to do twice a week. I probably should be doing three times a week. It is helpful to do more, but obviously you want to balance that out with creating quality stuff too. And I think with Instagram and TikTok, TikTok, they want you to be posting three times a day, which is kind of scary and you that's have to so balance. much. Isn't that crazy? But they will focus primarily on TikTok. So that's where most of their time is. And I think with Instagram, doing Instagram reels is a great way. I mean, both of these platforms have come out and say they are primarily video platforms Mm -hmm. now. So they want you to be posting more. I mean, obviously, Melissa's a photographer, so it's important that she posts photos. And it's still important to post photos, too. But I think posting on your stories is a great way for people to interact with you Get to know you. So each thing has its specific purpose. And I think you just have to look at that platform and create content for the specific purpose that it has. I think that's good. Yeah. yeah. Um, just do like a couple more. Okay. Another good one is how to create boundaries with what you share online. This is a great question as well. And I think everyone's different with this. There are people who want to share absolutely everything. There are people who want to show hardly anything. And so you have to figure out with you. I think it's pretty clear on my videos that I don't share everything. I mean, I never wanted to be like a couple vlog or anything. So a lot of my day-to-day life with Aiden, I do keep very private something I've always been intentional about because when we have kids one day that's another boundary I want to have of I haven't really thought about that too much but how much do I want to show our kids if we're able to have children and so I think it's important just to think about that beforehand I had a girl who reached out and she was like I want to start doing YouTube but my husband doesn't feel comfortable being on camera and I'm like never force them to be on camera yeah. because that's not good for your marriage that's not good for your relationship and I think you can find stuff that you like to share individually too and it doesn't mean that your spouse or your partner or whatever isn't supportive of what you're doing it just means that they're simply not super comfortable with being on camera and so you have to find that balance and it is hard because your audience does want to feel connected to you and so for me I shared a lot about going off the birth control pill which for a lot of people I mean my parents may have watched that and been like why are you sharing this online <laughs> with all these people but I think you have to figure out for yourself what you feel comfortable sharing. And I had so, so many girls reach out being so thankful that I shared about that because they were wanting to do that or had just done that. We're thinking about it. And it's helpful to, you know, have someone that you look up to as like a sister figure to talk about that. So I think it's just personal and never feel intimidated to share parts of your life that you don't want to, to. Okay, this is gonna be the last one. How to deal with haters or trolls in your comments? This is another really great question. I think as time goes on, when you do 
anything online, you have to realize that you're going to get people who don't agree with everything that you post or people who are just looking for a punching bag and you just seem to be a good target. And so I think it's just admitting and realizing that up front. And you will find that slowly over time, things don't bother you as much. And this kind of goes back to boundaries too. You don't always have to look at it either. I leave a lot of my comments up. I It doesn't really bother me as much as it used to when I was younger. There are certain things, especially when it's about like family or friends or people who aren't actually asking to be criticized, that bothers me more. But when it's about me, I'm like, whatever. Like I love what I'm doing and I know I'm not for everyone. And so it's okay that people disagree with stuff. But there's a difference between people being kind of, I don't know, criticizing what you're doing and just being a straight up troll. And those people are just hateful. say block, just block yeah. them. Doesn't matter. Just goodbye. You do not <laughs> need to see what they're saying yeah. because they, again, are just looking for someone to take their anger out on. And it's so cheesy. But what people say about you, it only yeah. is a representation of their heart. It's not you. And something that my parents always told me was like, you know, at your heart of hearts, your own intentions with what yeah. you're putting out there. And you can't let, and I think especially this goes if you think people are going to judge you in your personal life too for posting stuff, I think we're at a point where so many people are doing it now though, that it's not like cringy or weird. If you follow someone, you're like, Oh, she's trying to be an influencer. Like yeah. just let her like, yeah. it's not, it's, it's not, life is not that serious. No, like, it's not. And it's not, it's not affecting you. And yeah. Who cares? And like, who are we? If something is bringing someone joy, yeah. doing something, who are we to, I dealt with this a lot weirdly in college and high school. People didn't really care, but in college I got, like, I don't know. I don't want to say bully. I knew what I was doing. I was making money doing it. I yeah. felt comfortable. I was working with these brands that I loved. And it's a lot easier to just say, block it out, block it out. But I think over time, you kind of learn that. And having people in your life that you can talk to about stuff. And I think for me, I've realized that I take advice from people in my personal life for the most part who know me, not random people on the internet yeah. who don't actually know me and don't have my best interest at heart so well they don't they i mean they know you but they haven't sat down and had coffee with you and gotten to yeah. know like your heart and who you are but i i get the temptation to feel yeah. like you know people because yeah. i love there are certain people yeah. like kristen johns i love kristen oh johns. yeah i love, I love, love it her it feels like i know her oh but yeah i don't and it's like i yeah. she's only sharing five percent of her yeah. life that you I don't see. know what she and marcus might be talking about at 9 p.m yeah. that made her next day bad like exactly we don't know yeah and you don't know what's up and that goes on the other way too if someone's saying stuff about you you don't know what they're going yeah. through it's not always super personal even though it does feel like a personal attack on you so i think it's just about having grace yeah and we're all emotional human we beings we are all emotional yeah. i hope you guys enjoyed this episode with melissa and i always say this if you need a photographer hit me up even though she's <laughs> pretty booked up guys <laughs> She's only doing 24 weddings next yep. year, so, but no, seriously, she's great. So I'll have her info in the description box or the podcast details if you guys want to check them out. And you can also follow her on Instagram. Yep. We're about to go paint some mugs, so. It might be a fail. It will probably, at least for me, it'll probably be a fail. It'll be fun though. But you guys can check it out if you want. 
I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. I thought it was a really fun one, editing it back. I really liked just all the different kind of questions that we got to answer. And I hope it was helpful if this is an area that you're kind of looking at pursuing, looking at leaving your nine to five, wanting to know more about these two industries. I hope it was helpful. And also, if you did enjoy, feel free to let me know, like always, how you're listening. It makes me feel like this community is more in person when I see how you guys are listening. So just tag me on Instagram and share if you're on a walk, if you're doing work. I just love to get to message you guys back the people who actually listen it really makes my day seeing that people actually listen to this podcast and so feel free to tag me there if you enjoy and you can always write a review too if you guys appreciate the podcast it definitely helps it but like always just listening is the sweetest thing you can do so thank you guys for being here and i'll catch you guys in my next episode bye friends (music) 